Hello everyone, welcome back to Daf Shavua as we study Mesechas Yavamas, Daf Kuf Tesvav, that is 115. Our Gemara today really begins with the Mishnah from last week on uh, Kuf Yudalad Amin Beis. This parak is going to sound uh, very similar to some of the issues that we saw back in the 10th parak, and it's actually going to set us up beautifully for uh, the last parak. And I want to try to show you, just an introduction, how relevant these prakim are. And of course, we're focusing on this Mishnah and this parak and uh, the very interesting Gemara that we have with many, many fascinating insights. I'm going to recall now, you know, the terrible events of 9-11. And the question was whether they were able to determine halachically that people died. What I mean here is uh, even if they didn't have the remains of the people that passed away, what's the determination that was made? The relevance, of course, to our mission and to our Gemara is, let's say, in this situation where you had a married woman, and there were many, and it was a Jewish married woman, and there were many, and they're not able to identify, they didn't have the remains or the proof to identify her husband. Is she an Aguna forever? Now, these issues were, of course, uh, settled. Much of it was done by uh, Rabbi Willig, Rabbi Yonah Reese, and these Gemaras, including our Mishnah, including some of our Gemara, were the determinations that were made in order to uh, what we call free up the woman so that at some point when she's ready she'd be able to uh, date and uh, hopefully remarry if that's what she wanted. These cases were also related to some of the most uh, challenging chuvos of 1973. There were many chayalim who didn't come back. The terrible war, Yom Kippur War, and that's really where Avadi Yosef, Zechotzadik Lavracha, received much of his notoriety for the amount of agunot that he was able to free up. Again, where they didn't necessarily have the remains. These questions came up uh, after the Shoah, and many, many of the Gedolim how to deal with these issues. Rev Herzog and many others. And this goes back, of course, to uh, events in Jewish history and back to our Mishnah, to our Gemara, as well as in the 10th parak, and what you find in the next parak, other places, Shas as well. We don't want a woman to remain as an Aguna. At the same time, we understand that we don't want to have a situation, which we saw back in the 10th parak, where a husband comes back. And then you end up halachically with a real problem. If the husband is alive, even if they suspected that he was not, then this woman could not live with her husband, number one. And if she married, she wouldn't be able to live with husband, number two. She was an Asia Sish just because uh, it was determined 
based on the evidence that she gave, which was somewhat of weakened evidence, that she was able to remarry. That doesn't knock her off of being an ish if Lamaisa, the husband, was alive. And you end up with a child who's a mamzer. So this is uh, back to our sugya, back to our Mishnah. When is it that we're going to override the general principle that you only that you require two adim? And here we're going to have a situation where we're going to trust one aid, and also the fact that it's a woman. And this is nothing against women, but in general, a woman is not going to have the nemanis. It's not that we don't believe the woman. It's just based on psukim that a woman doesn't qualify as an aid. Now, there are times we have this principle of that when it comes to some prohibitions, we do trust the woman. If a woman is running a home and she's running the kitchen, every time you eat in that house, both the husband, the children, and everyone else is relying on her nemanus. She's really acting like an aid. When it comes to tar samashbacha, a woman in making determinations, whether she's Tahar or Tameh, again, in a, t- a situation where she doesn't have to ask a Rav Shaila, there's also Nehmana. So whether it's formal aidus or not, she is acting as, a, as an aid. Uh, her testimony is what ultimately is what allows her to be with her husband, allows us to eat in the kitchen, etc., and that's what is being evaluated as we approach this Mishnah. Now, the way that uh, many of the Rishonim explain why she would have the Nemanus to be able to say that her husband died, except in the situations that we're going to spell out, and there are many, is because of what's at stake, which brings us back to the 10th parak, which means that we're going to be more flexible to allow her to say that she could remarry, that she is not an aguna if she says that her husband has died. Again, we're not talking about a war. That's going to be the qualifier. And we're talking in a situation where they had a good relationship, so she's not looking for a special incentive to get rid of the guy. But because of what's at stake, if this man comes back, which means prohibition to husband number one and husband number two, and Mamzerus, and all the Isurim that are associated with it, that gives her the power to establish Eidus on her own. We're going to see how this is brought in the Rambam, and then we're going to see many of the halachas that come out from this Gemara. The Simon of the Shulchan Aruch that deals with uh, these issues, again, a lot is drawn from our mission of some of what we saw in Parak Yud, and we'll continue with this on next daf and uh, continuing with the next parak as well. But uh, the, if you look back at the 9-11 Shilas and other Shilas, almost everything is going to be anchored in discussion centering around Shulchan Aruch, Evan Ezer, Hilchus Ishus, Simon Yud Zion. In fact, the uh, Shulchan Aruch and the Hakdama Every simon of the Shulchan Aruch has a title. The title is Heter Eishas Ishemesh Bala. Uh, Heter, where of an Eishas sister of a married woman whose husband died, or she makes that claim, or she re- requests uh, get, or that my husband divorced me, etc. And there are 58 Sifim. 
And you have all different cases, everything from witnesses who saw a uh, collapsed building, the wife who collapsed, who said something about seeing her husband um, experiencing some kind of plague. And there ends up being a lot of confusion in some of these cases, who dies, who doesn't die. And uh, it's interesting, you look at some of the language, it sounds like pandemic language. We see, uh, it's even a Rashi on our daf, you know, we see weak people that seem to survive, strong people that die, and how much is really in the hand of Hashem. But we really need either testimony or evidence of a death before we're going to allow this uh, woman to be free and to uh, remarry. But what I wanted to do today is really go through the Rambam, some of the important Rambams, which we're going to need. It's, and here for the Rambam, you're going to find these halachas in Hilchas Gerish. It's interesting why it's there. Um, the last two chapters of Hilchas Gerish. Even though you'll see some of the... If you look into those prakim, we probably won't go through it. Some of the halachas are going to apply to Yibum as well. That's why it's in Mesechus Yivamas. So, for example, what happens um, if the husband dies and now there's, there are no children and this is a single brother or she's claiming that the husband died? Is she now eligible for Yibum? Or would need a chalitza to move on? So you see how many practical cases there were. These were actually some of the 9-11 shilas. They were questions of Yibum and chalitza that came up very tragic. So I'm going to generally, what I'll do in the next, uh, this part of the shir is I'll go through the Rambams. I'm going to read some of the Rambams with some of my own insights and some insights from Rishonim and Achronim, especially when it comes from uh, Poskim on the Shulchan Aruch. So the Rambam Hilchus Gerish in Perak Yud Beis, Halacha Tesvav, says, Mi shehuchzaka ishazish, so you have a situation where here the way the round is presenting is uh, both the husband and the wife go to some unfamiliar territory, right? They go overseas. We know that there's peace between them. Now, what exactly does it mean that there's peace between them? So the way this is explained, it doesn't mean there has to be perfect peace, but it has to be a situation where there hasn't been sheker that has been presented. It hasn't been a case where the woman has previously claimed that the husband has uh, died. Just the fact that the two are fighting doesn't necessarily mean, again, this is the way many of the Mepharshim understand the Rambam, and uh, you could find this in the parish on the Shulchan Aruch, in the Chalkas Mechokeg, that only where the woman has already made false statements and in the presence of a court. The fact that they're constantly uh, fighting is not considered serious enough to put in all the stringencies that are mentioned in these halachas. It's not clear that everyone agrees. I'm not sure even Rashi would agree if you look into Rashi on this page, but that is the approach. Because if not, how are you going to make a decision? Who has peace? Who doesn't have peace? They know Rabbeinu So this is what the Rambam says, going back to the Rambam. And what's interesting over here. I wouldn't say it's atypical, but it's not something you see every day in the Rambam, where the Rambam gives the rationale to assume that, uh, what is it that, to assume that she's telling the truth? If there's peace between them, 
and there's peace in the world. Then she's believed. And you notice, by the way, the Rambam says she's believed over here to be able to marry or in order to have a Yibam. There would be a Zika between her and the uh, surviving brother. And the basis of this, even though it's testimony that's coming from a woman, and it's a just of one, even if you want to say it is Eidos, She'enim mekalkelas atzma v'teser atzma alzeh, similar to what we described outside in the beginning of this year, she's not going to do damage to herself. I'm going to just basically summarize the Rambam for time. She's not going to do damage to herself, which would cause, aside from the Eishos issues issue, it also will cause the separation, but the Rambam makes sure to let us know about the Ksuba. This goes back to uh, the last two Shiurim. She would cause herself to lose the rights to collect the money because if the second husband comes around, she doesn't end up with the Ksuba. It's interesting that the Rambam mentions this first, even before the issue of Ishes Ish generating a Mamzer. But the reality is there's another very important point here from the Rambam, which shows you it's not just a question of her opinion, but it's an issue that this is very important language. At a certain point, it's going to be well known if she, if he comes walking back in. So she's not going to lie. right? She's going to give as much legitimate testimony as possible. She really has no incentive to lie. It's only going to cause danger. So this is in when everything is equal. There's peace between them. She hasn't previously lied. Let's assume like the Chalkos Makoke. And there is peace in the world. The, the significance of peace in the world is that there's clarity that he hasn't died in a war. Or maybe he was a Gosace. Uh, sometimes, you know, let's say you, you visit someone who's a Gosace. A Gosace is somebody who's on, the, we say, on their deathbed. So, you know, Rabbanim, and even family members, when we try to get vidui from a Gosace, and we want them to be able to do vidui, we also have to be very careful, because if they're totally given up hope, assuming, you know, they're conscious, and, and, conscious, and we should assume that they are, that even if they're not communicating, they maybe have some ability to, to understand what's happening. So you come to someone who's about to die, and you say, let's say, the final Shema, and testify all your sins, and it's in the middle of August, you know, it's in the middle of the summer, the person knows it's not an uh, era of Yom Kippur. The person's going to give up, and die, so it has to be done in a very sensitive way. The point is, just because someone's injured in war, and you assume the person is going to die, that assumption is not going to be enough evidence to, to declare death. These are the issues that, again, come up with the military, why you needed posts like Revavadia, to really uh, be able to say what is evidence and uh, what is not evidence. I had personal experiences with some of these issues with uh, Rav Avidan. Rav Avidan was the Rashi Yishalavim. Before that, he was the Askan to the chief rabbi of Israel, to the chief rabbi of the Israeli army. And uh, we discussed one time, I may mention this in the past, where he felt there was enough evidence to declare certain people dead in a battle that took place in the early 1980s. And the families didn't want to accept it. They were in denial. And he was very upset. He obviously appreciated their role, what they were doing, but he felt that they weren't uh, giving themselves closure. And uh, the women were not moving on, accepting that their husbands had died. 
Okay, so that's basically what happens here. And uh, the Rambam continues. We're going to jump ahead in the Rambam now to Perik Yud Gimel. And in Perik Yud Gimel, the Rambam says the following. This is in the very beginning of Perik Yud Gimel. You have to listen carefully. It's, it's difficult, but important Rambam. Aisha Sha'amra Labala, Kirashtani. If a woman says, who told her husband, you divorced me already in the past, in the pre- and he, she says in the presence of so-and-so, and this guy says, I don't remember that happening, and the witnesses come and say it's not true, then in this situation, she and her husband, uh, they go for a trip somewhere else, and there is peace in the world, but there's already a history of conflict between them, so this is the same as what we saw before, and in this situation, she would not believe, right? She's considered a shakran. Now, what happens if one witness comes? Now you have an eid echad, someone outside of the woman, and says that her husband died. We're not going to grant permission to this guy, even though in general, we will listen to an eid echad to free someone up from an aguna because of the concern that maybe she hired him. So the fact that she has this history of being a shakran knocks her believability out, and it knocks someone else's believability out. The Rambam does say at the end, if she does marry a second person, that she is allowed to stay married. Because still at the end, she did have that witness. So it's very complicated why that's the halacha, but I'm just stating it now, and we'll probably come back to some of this. Now, we're going to see on the next daf, on daf of Kuf Tezayin, a major machlokas between Rabbi Hanina and Rafsim Rabbi Ashi, which uh, will play a role in a lot of these discussions to really explain what's the rationale between the Chachamim allowing a remarriage to take place or when a marriage does not take place. And the Rambam basically following the reasoning that we've been explaining that once the woman is established as a Shakran, then we're not going to believe her again. And this is even if there's no war in the world. The worst cases we'll get more into next week are much more complicated. Um, what Rav Simi Bayashi will see next week really says that we suspect that an instance where her husband appears to be dying, the woman won't be careful and conclude that he died, even though he remained alive. So it's more like the Gose's case that we mentioned uh, before. Okay, so these are the issues that we're going to have to address. And what's going to be very interesting is when we get to some of the war cases or other cases of a mapolet, of a building collapsing, where there, let's say the government says there are no survivors. Rahman al-Islam, this is what happened last year. At what point? These questions also are as far as Avelis, when Avelis begins. Avelis begins, you know, they had uh, the terrible collapse. I was in Florida when it took place in Surfside. At what point does Avelis begin, which is a related question. It happens to be that Avelis is a separate issue because Avelis really does not begin until the family accepts that the person has died. And you could end up having a situation where one family member has accepted it and the others haven't. Again, we're talking about in a case where there's enough evidence to establish that there were no survivors. Okay, have a great week of learning. We'll continue with the discussion next week.